This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. We've got a special guest with us today. We have Seely from Xeno Technologies. She's here from Austin, but she told me she's actually a Bay Area transplant. She came from California. Part of the wave. Yeah, part of the <laughs> wave. So tell me about that real quick. I want to. Sure. I want to. I want to know about how that experience has been moving from uh, from the Bay to Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've been here about eight months so far. I moved for the job for Zeno. So obviously, you know, you need to be where your people are and where your customers are. Um, born and raised California, you know, have a lot of family there. Definitely you know, a, a hard move from that perspective. Most of my family is still there. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot that we really are loving about Texas. Like we we love the neighborhood that we're in. People are very friendly here. Frankly, there's I know I've heard stories of Austin traffic, but it's nothing compared to the Bay Area. So that's been a really yeah. nice change. <laughs> my commute is like seven minutes long as opposed to the hour and plus, you know, it used to be each yeah, way. It's definitely an upgrade for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, there's just there's a lot of things that we're really enjoying. I have I have a young son, so you know, he we very family friendly, lots of parks around so yeah. that's what we're finding our way around but it's, it's been so great. funny i was uh at a friend's birthday party in austin probably about a year and a half ago mm -hmm. and he's from new york okay and uh he moved to austin had his birthday party in austin and i went to it and everyone at that party was from new york city or Transplant. from san francisco <laughs> no or kidding. la and anyways he's so good at his parties and introducing everyone and he introduces me he's like this is Colin. He used to work on He's oil rigs, Texas. like throwing chains, and everyone's looking at me like I'm yeah. an alien, and they're like coming and asking me questions, like <laughs> they've never funny. met someone that had worked was on actually a, from uh, oil rig yep. and from Texas, and so um, I thought that was uh, pretty pretty funny. But so tell me what uh, high level overview of what is you know what yeah are sure. Uh, so we are a data uh, aggregation and analytics platform focused on uh, financial analytics for oil and gas firms. Um, so we actually work with both. Uh, e so we work almost exclusively upstream. So we're working with EMPs. Okay. We're also working with the financial um, like sponsors and partners that EMPs work with. So being investment banks, private equity firms, um, some of the consultants, you know, other other groups that that are working at lenders, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so we really are focusing on on the the economics and kind of the underlying. You know, how do you calculate? Cash flow, obviously, you know, not a hard calculation there, but how, how are you modeling things out? How are you getting to economic answers? Yeah. Um, and really trying to drive financial decision making. So our, our key buyer is really the VP of finance, the CFO, you know, the head of business development, um, financial analyst at a bank, et cetera. Um, yeah. We really focus, like I said, on, on the financial so really analytics you're side. So really going to be looking at private equity firms, investment banks. Those are going to be the users of CNO. Yeah, well, it, those plus the the finance team at uh, at an EMP. Gotcha. Um, so we work with a lot of the EMP teams who are, you know, not only are they responsible for managing quarterly reserves processes and kind of, you know, the 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 board reporting, but they're also doing a lot of A and D analysis. So yeah. that's really where a lot of our our efforts lie. Okay. So tell me about your background. I mean, coming from Bay Area, mm -hmm. you know, not a lot of uh, oil. oil fields there. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of oil field activity <laughs> sure. there. I mean, you have a lot in California, just not Bay Area. Yep. Um, so let's talk about your background real quick. How did, you know, point of inception um, to, to where you're <laughs> yeah. at now? Yeah, sure. Um, tell me about um, that. So I, I have a software background. So I uh, I graduated from college uh, in, in 08. I went into investment banking, you know, pretty quickly there. <laughs> and then kind of a quick stint through investment banking uh, in software, media, and telecom. That was the group that I was in. Um, came back out to California. I was in New York at the time. Came back out to California for effectively an internship at a data company um, called Jigsaw. Okay. And Jigsaw was kind of one of the early concepts of, of a B2B kind of um, crowdsourced contact database. 
that very quickly got acquired about a month into my time there by Salesforce. And I spent five years at Salesforce. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so that's really the bulk <laughs> of my kind of software experience, a big company experience. Yeah. Um, spent five years at Salesforce. I did uh, sales strategy and operations there. Okay. Um, so we were really looking, my team especially was looking at our cloud businesses. So it wasn't kind of the core business line. It was how do we think about all of the other products that we're developing? How do we fold those into the core the core platform that, that the reps are, are selling? Um, how do we think about financial planning and kind of, you know, planning for sales territories, quotas, kind of all the operational things that that drive the business. Yeah. Um, that got me excited. Like, I think I always, my, my I'm an operator at heart. So yeah. I think, you know, that kind of like <laughs> laid the groundwork there um, to say, all right, what are the levers that you have to to run a business? You know, when you, when you dial one up, do you have to dial one down? Can you dial both of them up at the same time? What's the impact? Um, so I just always kind of liked sitting at that intersection. Yeah. I went to business school from Salesforce. I did my MBA at Harvard. And okay. then I came out of Harvard. I went to a company called Radius Intelligence. And so that was another B2B data company. Okay. <laughs> um, so data, data analytics, data intelligence. Uh, Radius, I did, uh, I was the head of operations there. So basically, you know, similar role to what I did at Salesforce, but kind of everything rolled up under me from enablement. Uh, I did a lot of the sales planning. Um, did a lot of work with marketing, product, et cetera, yeah. kind of that intersection again. Yeah. Uh, went to a private equity firm kind of by mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> by so, mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, my boss at Radius at the time moved over to a private equity firm and brought me with him. Okay. Um, never intended to be in private equity. Uh, spent about three years there. So, you know, it was a good, good run. But yeah. like I said, operator at heart. And so uh, this opportunity came up with with a gentleman I actually met at Radius, um, was the co-founder of Zeno. Oh, really? And so that's how I got to know about the opportunity. We were catching up over the holidays. I said, you know, how's it going? How's your family? You moved to Texas. I saw on your Christmas card. <laughs> He's like, how are you? What's going on? I haven't talked to you in a couple a couple of years. Um, and this was, you know, mid-COVID at the time. Uh, yeah. And he's he started telling me about what they were building at Zeno. And, you know, sometimes there are those people in your career where you're like, I'm probably going to work with that person again. And yeah. for me, that was always Joel. Like I just, yeah. we, he was product. I was go to market and kind of like, we just worked well together. Special. well. Yep, exactly. Um, and so opportunity came up and he said, you know, we were, we're looking for a CEO and I said, haha, that's really nice. Like I'll send it to my network. You know, I'll, I'll take a look at the job description. And I looked at it and I was like, Ooh, I, I need to apply for this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just got me excited. You know, it's like, it's, it's building from the ground up. I was basically go to market hire number one. So like sales rep, number one marketer, number one, yeah. like all of those different hats. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of challenges that go along with wearing many hats as I know, you know, many people on your, on your podcast, uh, talk about like, we're all small companies and kind of coming up and trying yeah. to figure out how do you, how do you do 10 things at once? Yeah, for sure. Um, but that also gets me excited. And then, and then you get to build the team, right? You find the people that fill those roles as you grow. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the, the mode that we're in Just right now. the most exciting parts to me. Exactly. You get to start finding people that are badasses in their own right to start taking. Totally. You know, you take one hat off and pass it yep. off to them. And that's how you get to start scaling. Well, and hopefully you find people who are better than you are better at each you. of those different yes, things. Yes, that's the um, goal. And so, you know, I'm like, I can pass as a salesperson, but am I a good salesperson? Like, no, I'm not. And, yeah. I, and I shouldn't be, right? I should be hiring people who are better than me at that specific thing. 100%. But I get to pull it all together and kind of help lead the direction. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that mm -hmm. um, because they'll hire B players. Um, yeah. We spent and, a lot of time talking about that at business school. <laughs> yeah. And... My thought has always been like, hey, the best part of being, about being an entrepreneur is you get to bring on the best people Absolutely. that teach you things and yep. you get to trust them to go do those things. So, yeah, yeah. I think, sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, one, one of the challenges of that in, in the early stage is, you know, especially coming with some big company experience, like we we know what good looks like. Like I very much know what I want for different roles. Yeah. But there's limited budgets. That's hard to attract people. The war for talent, as I'm sure everyone is talking about, is, is crazy it's right crazy, now. Right? really hard to hire good people. It's really yeah. hard. You know, we are a Texas based firm. Like we would like people to be here where our, our customers are in person. Like we'd like more in-person interaction, but 
but you're also fighting against engineers from Facebook and Google who like walk downstairs and you know sit from their couches and they so make 400k so, a year. <laughs> let's dive into this a bit sure. because yeah. this is, I mean, Digital Wildcatters is growing quick. You know, yeah. we have 15 people and we'll That's probably awesome. have 30 over the next year. Okay. And we're very much, um, we like being in person too. Yep. And so think about us, you know, we're in Houston, at least you're in Austin. Yeah. You know, Austin's <laughs> a little bit easier of a sell sure. than Houston is. I fucking love Houston, so yeah. I can sell people on Houston. <laughs> but it's crazy, one, um, just the market has been so hot in, in the tech um, industry. You're competing with the Googles mm -hmm. and Amazons, Netflixes. And so it's hard because when you're either early stage or bootstrapped, you just don't have the budget totally. to compete on a cash basis yep. uh, with those companies. And then also it's like a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of those people are just lazy and entitled, but it, it's kind of what it is. I <laughs> yeah. mean, there's big, an attitude. Like sure. big tech has kind of ruined a lot of engineers and a generation of workers because it's like, hey, here's a three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars salary. And it's pretty you really easy. don't like have to easy. do too much work yeah. to, to earn that. So it creates a lot of challenges. But also there's a lot of people out there that want to be a part of something and actually build. And so that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you got to find those people. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's definitely become more challenging to attract good talent who's very comfortable in what they're doing. But it's almost in a way weeding out people that you don't really want right because as an early stage company at least the ones that you know i've worked in you always have to sell the vision whether you're in sales or marketing or you're the ceo or you're you know in engineering like you still have to attract people who see the long term yeah you have to get them excited about it and people are taking equity as a large part of their compensation packages they're doing it because they believe in the long-term potential of the company yeah um, i think when you're doing something that's completely new that can be either really exciting or really scary to people so sometimes like i try to use analogs as saying well this is this is what we're doing that's similar to x company or y company to kind of like give people a mental model yeah um and that that helps you know but it's also like do they like the team do they like the people do they like the customer base we're going after um, is the is the product that we're building challenging enough and kind of saying like how do how are we thinking about something completely differently? Um, and I think you know that's how I attract sales talent. It's definitely how we attract engineers. Yeah. Um, engineers are the hardest right now. You know I think like yeah. you can you can find good salespeople. Um, good ones are hard to find, but I think yeah. you can find like people who can sell. Yeah. Um, engineering talent right now is very picky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you know it, it has been easy to find jobs and and people are very selective at the moment, but. I do think that you have certain people who are always going to be builders. They always want to go early. They want to be in sure. kind of the zero to 50 people or, you know, zero to a hundred million type of range. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where we're sourcing from right now. For sure. We'll talk about Zeno here in a minute. But I, I'm really interested in some of the cultural dynamics with you because you come from the Bay Area. You move into oil and gas, which I love <clears> your story of how you got into oil and gas because I told it's so crazy. You can go and you can go look back in previous 10 years and just relationships that you made at other companies. It all spider webs yep. and leads to where you're at today, right? Yep. And so I tell everyone, it's like you want to increase your surface area of people that you're networking with and yep. talking with because you never know what a conversation today will lead to tomorrow. And so it's really interesting to hear how you kind of got uh, sucked into oil <laughs> and gas. Into the web. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's talk about, you know, one, what did you? What does your network or your friends think that you're working in oil sure. and gas now? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, controversial topic, which mm -hmm. it really shouldn't be, but it is. Yep. Um, so were, was there any, did you have to think about taking a position yeah. in a tech company that was involved in oil and gas and mm -hmm. any stigma around that? And 
ask some more follow-on questions. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. Um, so, so yes and no. I, I think I've been fortunate. I, I have really wonderful supporters and friends around me, and I think they saw the opportunity and, and encouraged me to take it. You know, it's kind of regardless of industry, if you believe in the long-term product vision and what you can do. And, and frankly, the industry matters less to me than the market opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think that was really how you know I thought about it is not like, am I going to go build a product in oil and gas? It's like, I'm going to go build a really big company in an industry that needs software, that needs more technology investment. Yeah. And that's what I know how to do. I know how to build technology companies. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I happen to find an industry in oil and gas. I have a personal interest in oil and gas. I have family in Houston. Like we have oil interests that, that I've, you know, grown up kind of paying attention to, yeah. but never worked in the industry and and wanted to get closer to that and so that you know that was my personal reason um and i can can explain that to people they're like oh that makes more sense yeah um but at the same time you know i I really do think it's about where is the opportunity and and where do markets need investment in the skill set that that i bring or that my team brings yeah um and so you know i think oil and gas is we were looking at some charts recently and i think it's like the the second least investment in software over the last decade um and so that tells me there's an opportunity here where you know there's you're seeing more and more tech companies come out in space and that's because there's a need for new tools like you have tools that are from 25 30 years ago that people are still using which just doesn't make sense to me as someone who's grown up in silicon valley how this podcast got started how we're even (laughs) sitting here having this conversation was um, you know, around 2016, 2017, yep. when you started having the rise of cloud computing. Yep. Um, You're also like a decade late at that point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we were always a decade behind. Yep. Right. So we were already a decade late. But you started having engineers within these oil and gas companies saying, hey, we're making a hundred million dollar decision based off an Excel spreadsheet. I think I can make a SaaS based solution yep. that would solve this for all oil companies. The main complaint then was that there was a lack of early stage capital. Yep. You could not get funding for your company 100%. from anyone. And so I started talking to coastal VCs and I just said, hey, y'all really need to take a look at oil and gas tech. Yep. So much low hanging fruit here. And the number one question they would always ask is, where can we go to learn about it? And there wasn't a single place on the internet yep. to send them. So I agree. we started a podcast called Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Interesting. That okay, talk that's about great. Technological so solutions. You're bringing so, the investment into the, the place where it needs to be. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. I love that. So, yeah. Um, but I think you're right, though. I mean, you know, coastal VCs for, you know, whatever reason there might be, there are a lot of different reasons that we can point to. Um, but I think they have overlooked companies that, you know, have been in other places. So a lot of the firms that it makes sense, the technologies that are serving the markets that we're in would be growing up here, right? You need to be where your customers are. Yeah. Um, so whether it's ge- geography or whether it's subject matter, um, I still think that there's a bias, you know, against against the firms that were that were um kind of building here yeah but at the same time there is a need for technical innovation there is a huge low hanging so covid really impacted that i mean covid um look i mean the the top tech companies came out of the bay area yep historically right and now covid they're everywhere yeah yeah everyone pushing from miami (laughs) sure austin city boston you know whatever whatever city it may be Mm -hmm. yeah it always made sense that hey if you're building oil and gas solutions it would come from an oil and gas an oil and producing gas area yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. for sure and yeah. i think that's a big part of why i moved right like i think it you know, I, I probably could have stayed in the bay area but it didn't make sense to me to try and be a remote ceo especially when so much of the industry is about who do you know how who are you talking to yes. how are you able to get into the right partners and i mean especially for us we, we are very deliberate in building a team that is you know, half industry, half software. And I mean, those ratios are going to be like 50% every time. I don't have quotas for that. <laughs> yeah. But directionally, I think that's right because you have to have people who know how to scale a company and like build a, a kind of enterprise software platform. 
but you also have to have to have people who who know the problems that we're trying to solve the calculations like what does good look like what is the workflow where does the button need to be on the page like those sorts of things yeah and if you had me walking in from san francisco like flying in even if i flew in every week people were like oh well you're just flying in and flying over and then you fly back out like you don't truly understand you're not sitting with the reservoir engineer you're not sitting with my you know vp of finance yeah um and and i think the same thing happens for you know as we build the rest of the team you have to have people especially in the roles like customer success managers, solution architects who have been in those seats before because they know what the workflow should be. They know how to how they did it in Aries or Spotfire and then how they're trying to do it in Xeno. Um, they can translate that for the customer. And without that deep industry knowledge, we wouldn't know what product to build and we wouldn't know how to train the customers on how to use something new. Yeah. And it's a really interesting dynamic when you have to build a company like that. I mean, it's the same thing here at Digital Wildcatters. I mean, we have parts of our team that have energy expertise yep. and domain expertise. Yep. But then my product manager on our app didn't come from oil and gas. Yeah. And it came from the tech world. And being able to integrate that. And you teach each other. Yeah, you teach each other. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so I love that you made the move to Texas because I'm not going to name names on the show right now, but there have been previous uh oil and gas tech companies that come from san francisco yeah that don't know shit about oil and gas <laughs> totally. and guess what they're not around anymore yeah. and so um that's always been something that i've said is that if you are creating a energy tech company you have to i mean you have to be committed to it one you either have to come from the industry and have domain expertise and then partner up with you know someone from technology that can help you build solutions or you got to get down here to Houston, to Texas, wherever it may be. So yeah. I just don't think that's like, I don't think it's optional. I think yeah. that you have to do that. I agree. And I think, you know, people could push back on that with COVID and the rise of remote work, but I still think that you have to, you have to reflect the industry that you're in, the customers that you're working with. And most of our customers came back to the office in like March of 2020 after a week hiatus, <laughs> um, you know, I think yeah, for better I mean, for worse. I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, we shut down for like a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I think you, you still, like I said, you reflect the customers that you're working with and then we need to be working on their schedules. We need to be uh, responsive to them in, in the context in which they're comfortable. Yeah. Um, and the context in which most people are comfortable is in person. And so we're going to be in person. Yeah. So let's talk about the solution mm -hmm. and what you guys have built out. So you said uh, co-founder, what was, was his name? Joel Carasone. Joel, yep. okay. So, so Joel Carasone, um, was, so he was product with, at our former company and, and was CTO and um, kind of wound that through a sale. And then he partnered up. So after the sale of Radius, he partnered up uh, as an EIR, an entrepreneur in residence at ABC. So ABC was a common investor in both Radius Intelligence and in Xeno. Okay. Um, we are part of ABC's build program. So build program, um, I don't know. Do you know ABC? Should I give a little context there? Um, yeah, give some context yeah, so, there. I've heard of them, but yeah. I don't know. So ABC is, is founded by Joe Lonsdale. Joe was the co was the founder or co-founder, I'm probably going to get that wrong, um, of Palantir. So one of the, okay. you know, the big, yeah. obviously well-known uh, data companies. Um, and so Joe and the team moved to Austin in early 2020. Uh, so they, they, I mean, they moved operations to here in Austin and, um, the, the build program specifically is it's not really an incubator in terms of like finding companies and helping them scale. It's truly like they, they come up with an idea and they partner with entrepreneurs and they go build the company. Yeah. Um, and they specifically, they build companies part of the build program in markets where they identify a market gap. So like mm -hmm. in segments where they identify a market gap. So, so Zeno is their bet on the energy sector. They, they said there's been very little investment in technology over the past decade. You know, data is obviously a big factor here. Like how do you bring yeah. multiple pieces of data together? I know, you know, you guys talk about that a lot on the podcast yeah. is 
one of the craziest things to me is you ask an ENP, like, what is the value of your assets? And they're like, I I don't know, because they have data living in 25 different places and they can't pull it all together. Yeah. So So I had had a friend that came into the oil and gas industry, one of the smartest data scientists that I've met and um, came from Silicon Valley. And when he moved down here to Houston, he just could not like he refused you can't wrap to your be- mind around it. He refused to believe me <laughs> that a oil and gas company couldn't tell you at any minute of the day if they were profitable on a marginal cost basis. Yep. And I was like, no, they can't. He's yep. like, no, that's wrong. He's like, I've worked in manufacturing because he was at SAP. He's like, I've consulted yep. um, manufacturers all over the world. Any manufacturing plant can tell you if they're profitable at any right. minute. And I'm like, no, you, well, you can't do that. Other industries have solved this problem. I think that's the opportunity that ABC saw. They're saying, well, you know, other industries that are legacy industries have figured out how to pull data together. They figured out how to get on top of, of the metrics that they care about with real-time information updates. This hasn't happened yet in oil and gas. How can we build something that is going to that is going to help change that? Yeah. Um, so the actually the Echo Energy team out of Oklahoma City uh, partnered yeah. up with ABC. They kind of got together, shared their ideas about you know reserve analysis, um, you know bringing in real time data into not only reserves but also into A and D. Um, and so that's really how Joel got hooked up with with the ABC and the Echo team. And they said, okay, well let's go build a company, you know, based on based on data, based on analytics, and how to you know data aggregation. And then um, how do we build a platform to go and scale to EMPs and financial services? Yeah. So I'm looking at Shell's website right yeah. now, just scrolling, and mm-hmm. um, I'll read the headline just so people have context. <laughs> sure. Meet Zeno, the new energy operating system. Yep. So let's. Break this up. You know, you guys are positioning yourselves as an energy operating system. Mm-hmm. Are you bringing in um, engineering components into the platform, or is it strictly financial yeah. related? Uh, so we are absolutely. We actually started in in reserves. So so in terms of like the reservoir engineering pool, like we, we you can build decline curves, you can build type curves, you can do all your forecasting directly in Zeno. A key part of that though is still in the service of finance, right? It's still saying like, we want to be able to have finance go and answer questions for themselves without having to go back to their reservoir engineer and say, hey, can you adjust this curve up or down? Or, you know, can you change this type curve area? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really putting putting the kind of manipulation power in the hands of a non-technical user is really how we think about it. Um, but in terms of being able, so when we typically go and sell deals, like you, you, you go and talk to the VP of finance, the CFO, they're the ones that get excited about it. They see the, the, implications are kind of the, the opportunity of the platform, but you 100% have to talk to the reservoir engineer. It's like, all right, if this doesn't work for the reservoir engineer, they're going to throw you out of the room. Um, so typically, again, you know, the, the decision maker is the, the finance team or the A&D team. And then the, I call them the validator. Sometimes they can be the deal killer. <laughs> the validator. Is the, is the reservoir engineer. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, mean, I think making sure that something works for the reservoir engineer, like, especially for, for an industry that's so tied to Aries, so tied to, you know, I mean, Aries is what, 85% of the market share. Yeah. Um, PhD has some combo curve is, is gaining share as mm-hmm. well uh you know we're seeing that change over time but there is just such this huge you know 10 pound gorilla in the room with aries and what our view is is that i don't really care if you use aries or phd or combo you can still get value out of the xeno platform because those are those are inputs into a, a broader analysis that you need to do yeah so y'all are agnostic um, yeah i mean again to, and you you can use xeno to do it but if you're already using the other tools yeah, you know, if you work, have your system that you exactly. like yeah and I think um, someone described it to me recently. They're like, well, if you try to rip Aries out of a reservoir engineer's hands, they're going to like, you know, turn over in their grave and pry, you have to pry it out of their dead hands. I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's true. You don't um, think that's true? Interesting. No, okay. I mean, that's definitely changing in my so mind. So I agree that it's changing. Yeah. I still think though that if you come in and say you must replace what you're using, and again, whether it's Aries or PhD or combo, 
um, that is a much harder proposition, especially for a young company. And so our oh, yeah, approach sure. was saying yeah. like, let's, let's make sure that we can integrate and make sure that we can, we can use what you're using now and still find value in the platform, as opposed to saying, Hey, you need to replace not only your data warehouse, but also your Aries instance and also your Spotfire instance. I mean, you know, convincing someone to do that is just, it's, it's a, it's yeah, a heavy lift. Aries and PHD are perfect, uh, examples of how good of a moat replacement costs Absolutely. are because yeah. I mean, everyone agrees that it's, um, I mean, it's just they're, old, they're suboptimal. Technology. Yeah, <laughs> sure. suboptimal. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Sub, suboptimal. Yeah. But it is just so ingrained yeah. in the workflow that yeah. people don't want to replace mm -hmm. it with anything. So, well, I think a big part of that also is is what their partners are on, right? So, until until the banks switch, or especially until yes. the auditors switch, it's really hard to get anybody to hundred percent switch because they always have to convert things back into the into the format that whether it's their PE sponsor or their bank or their auditor. Um, if they're being asked for that, it's like, they can't just say, sorry, I'm going to do it my own way. They're going to be like, oh, I have to go convert this. It's actually one of the hardest challenges in this space is that it's really driven by financial institutions. Absolutely. Whether it's, and um, those are really hard to change. Yeah. Whether it's, uh, reservoir tools, financial, uh, modeling tools, uh, data tools. I mean, in mm -hmm. various, all the banks accept in various as the gold standard for oil and gas data. So yep, it's so data. hard to ever go uproot in various, yep. even if you had a better product or yep. a cheaper price, just because Absolutely. the banks accept it as the gold standard mm -hmm. for data. So it's actually a really, it's a unique challenge that the space has to deal with. Yeah. You have to win I, over finance. I think there are, I mean, there are other, I, I use the example of Adapar quite a bit, which is a, it's a um, like private wealth platform, like a reporting platform. And I think, Financial services can be changed. You just have to have enough companies or kind of enough of their clients using something different to force them to look at something new. Yeah. Um, and and that is, I think, always the challenge for young companies is you can spend a ton of time tracing a bunch of smaller companies and kind of get your get your product out there, which is, you know, I think the, the mode that a lot of us are following. But you also need to spend some time thinking about, OK, well, what does the bank want? What Because the, then if you're going to get the opportunity to go and pitch them, if you're going to get the opportunity to go and kind of show them what the platform can be, or even just get their input into it, you have to be prepared for that. And I think that's where, you know, we're, we're all strapped thin, like we don't have a huge team yet. And so making sure of like, all right, I need, you know, 90% of my team to hundred percent focus on the core product, but Hey, we also have to be potentially prepared to go and pitch a bank at any moment. You're hundred like, well, percent focus on this, but maybe 10% yeah, over like, here. Also be ready for my call. And I'm like, Hey, we're going to go and pitch, you know, Jeffrey's over here. Yeah. And we're like, ah, um, but you know, I, I think that's what keeps it interesting, right? It keeps yeah. it exciting. And, and sometimes, just like you said, opportunities at one place lead you to some place totally different. Um, and we learn a lot from our customers. Like, what are the things that they want? And I think that's really where, um, and I know some of the other guests that you've had on the show talk a lot about this. Like, we've talked to hundreds of companies at this point and saying, like, all right, well, I'm, and I think also as a non product leader, like as a non product CAO, I'm not so dogmatic about we must build this. Like, this is my vision. Um, it's much more about, like, okay, we think we have the core of what a customer wants, but we're hearing all these other things from this core group of customers and prospects, we should really go and look at that. And like, that might not be on our initial, you know, 2020 plan, but it's something where we're like, well, this, there's a need for the market here. We should go and do that. And I think, um, you know, we are very able to, to pivot just given our quick release cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's important to have those feedback loops and Absolutely. listen to the needs of your clients and yep. take feedback that they have and see if there's something there. Um, you know, you mentioned being a small team and then being in this, uh, this program, you know, what does that look like? I mean, are you guys, did you guys take a little bit of funding and then go, you know, start building out devs? Yep. I mean, yep. tell us about how you guys actually started building out the product. Sure. 
Um, so early in 2020, the team did raise a seed round. So we raised um, some money from ABC and from Echo. So they are our primary financial sponsors. Was this uh, pre or post uh, COVID? Uh, so it was March of 2020. So okay. <laughs> I think so, the first engineer, like non. Still doesn't answer my question yeah. because that was the month. That, yeah, that fair, fair, yeah, fair. So I, I think I think it was you know it had been the idea had been started kind of late in 2019, and I think funding actually hit like early March of 2020, and then okay. everything shut down. Yeah. So the first engineer I believe was hired like besides Joel um, was hired like April of 2020. But okay. so we were remote for the entire you know first. Like, so first what year. did you think? I mean, that month, yeah, COVID was bad worldwide across <laughs> industries, but. Yep. Oil and gas got hammered. Yeah. And so do you, do you read Matt Levine by any chance? Like the his money stuff in Bloomberg? Yeah. I mean, I know him, but <laughs> okay. I, I so I mean I remember often. I wasn't in the industry at the time, yeah. but I am a big Matt Levine fan. And reading, I think there must have been like five columns in a row about you know oil going negative. And number one, he went really deep into the mechanics, which a little bit over my head at the time. Yeah. Um, but also just like this satirical view of that of just like, how did this happen? Like, what is going on here? This is an industry that people have been watching as kind of, you know, a bellwether for so long. And all yeah. of a sudden you just see like up and down and now it's 40 and now it's negative 20 and you're like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> um, but yes, it was a very, it was not a good time in the industry. So I, yeah. I interrupted. Go well, ahead. we, um, yeah, I like to reflect on that month uh, a lot because yep. I actually left a, a previous startup exited um, okay. or had an exit agreement on that yep. and knew that we had something in digital wildcatters. And so I'd gone and talked to some investors and some clients and I said, yep. okay, we got something here. I'm going to go out and do it. And then anyways, um, that was three weeks before oil went negative. Yeah. And, and you're like, well, we yeah. have an industry going forward. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> and so I remember I was trying to raise some capital in 2020 yep. and had this VC up in New York that, I mean, like Colin, we love you. We yeah. love your passion. Yeah. Love your vision. They're like, just oil Can't and gas, it's, it's, yeah. it's dying. Yeah. And so I'm having to sit here and convince these people that oil and gas isn't dead. I know yeah. it looks really bad right now. Yeah. But yeah. Well, <laughs> You got it. Like this is a big industry, and it's going to continue yeah. to to grow, and the solutions are going to continue to grow. Sure. And so that was just a really tough climate because couldn't raise you couldn't raise money mm -hmm. in oil and gas tech. And yeah. So I thought that was interesting that you said y'all were able to. Yeah, I, I think the timing was probably lucky. I wasn't there at the time, so I can't speak to kind of you know the behind yeah, the scenes what, dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think what, what is interesting to me, and I totally agree with you, like oil and gas is not dying. Like we haven't figured out an alternative to it. It's going to be around for your lifetime, my lifetime, like our kids' lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Um, there is absolutely a transition that's, that's happening. People are talking about it. They're figuring things out, but thinking about the level of investment and frankly, just the sheer amount of change that needs to happen to actually get from where we are now to, you know, a full net zero economy. The, the path there is not yet viable in yeah. my opinion. And so like we're, we're, we're going to see, you know, the same cycles that we've seen over the yeah, past. To add decades. on to that, like, I don't even like saying energy transition anymore because yeah. there hasn't been a transition. It's been an energy addition. I mean, energy yeah, demand I agree with that. continues to grow yep. and we're pro energy here at digital wildcatters. I yep. mean, we like all energy sources as long as it's economic and totally. makes sense. If it's a, affordable, reliable yeah, and clean, exactly. cleaner, you yeah, know, exactly. like thinking about it. I agree. Um, so that's <laughs> when I'm trying to convince investors in 2020, I'm like, fine. I'm not even convincing them on digital wildcatters. I'm yeah. convincing them on macro, the sector. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. macro energy well, yeah. uh, complex. And, you know, and it's, uh, what's interesting about you saying that too is, is that's very much part of what we're thinking about in terms of building out the product right now is we're seeing actually more interest in the sector. And it completely comes back to the supply crunch and, and, and people's predictions and the market's prediction that you're going to have to have to produce more, especially in the domestic U.S. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not going to see the rate of change of production from you know today to next year that we have maybe in the past when oil went above 100. Yeah, um, I think that though 
the the investment dollars and like the ability to raise capital is going to come back more than it has in the past, you know, let's call it five years or even decade. I know people have said that we lit money on fire for a decade. So maybe people were scared. Yeah, but it's generated a lot of capital. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, like you're still hearing that capital discipline playbook, right? Like you're still hearing that money is going to go to the operators who can show stable returns, fiscal controls. You know, you're not um, like your CapEx and OpEx and like your M&A or sorry, your um, G&A margins. Like you have to have a really strong control over those. It's not just like giving money to someone saying, let's, let's pray that we're going to go and find an asset that's going to produce. Yeah. Um, and so well, I, I mean, think, it's the only way that the business is sustainable. Ab- moving absolutely. Forward. And yep. I mean, you look at what happened during shell and I mean, shell was subsidized by, um, private markets, by private yep. equity. Yep. And it became a model of, Hey, you find an asset, you prove it, and then you flip it to someone. And guess yep. what? Music stopped. And yeah, someone, COVID, someone, COVID, someone was left. Like, COVID didn't destroy like this model. Like I was talking about that back in 2017, 2018, yep. that this model is like broken. Musical chairs. Yeah, it's musical chairs yep. and then the music stopping. Mm-hmm. And COVID was the catalyst for people rethinking the business and like, oh, hey, we actually need to be able to generate free cash flow yep. and generate a Which return. most other industries have to do, right? It's like, you have, we have, have to, to play by that. the same rules, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I mean, you know, VC funding aside, like, well, we won't talk, we won't yeah. go to that one. Yeah. Um, but at the same time- oh, Trust me, I can go, yeah. I can go in on VC <laughs> yeah, too. So. exactly. Um, but I think, you know, again, many other industries have had to figure these things out, right? Like how to operate more efficiently, how to use capital responsibly, how to attract capital from from investors that weren't super excited by, by the sector, but still, you know, were, were able to find returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really what we are seeing now and we're going to see more of over the next couple of years is there's capital to be had, whether it's private capital or, you know, equity markets, I think are opening back up to oil and gas in particular. We've seen some IPOs recently yeah. that they're opening back up. Exactly. So, and yeah. so like being able to then show by again, financial analytics and, and showing kind of how you are able to demonstrate re- reliable cash flows is going to be the most important thing to businesses in terms of the long-term survival. And I'm frankly surprised that there isn't a greater sense of urgency to be the one that's showing like the the best or kind of the most comprehensive metrics pack that you can give to your your sponsor or to you know, your, um, your board or your investor. I think it's still very painful to get to some of those numbers that people are going to really start caring about going forward. Yeah. And so that's really the opportunity that we're seeing is like, all right, well, how do we make it easier to get to those underlying financials um, that prove that you're a responsible steward of capital and that you can you know, be a be a solid investment? You can be a, a, a solid kind of um, return partner. Yeah. Um, kind of one off question here. Sure. But. We've talked a lot about oil and gas, but are you guys building this product for other um, energy assets as well, or is the focus going to be oil and gas specific? Yeah. Um, so we are 100% focused on oil and gas right now. And, and awesome. I guess the way that we think about it is we we are going to build what our customers need. Mm-hmm. As our customers shift over time, like the platform is built in a way where we can support other types of energy assets, but we're not focused there now. Yeah. I think we'll let our customers pull us there versus saying, you know, we're going to go build this and you should use that. Um, we are definitely getting questions around, you know, how, especially with SEC reporting requirements, you know, changing and kind of hypotheses around what are we going to have to look at and you know, do we have to report flaring or whatever it might be? Um, as those things start to change, I think we're going to see increasing requests from our customer base to support those. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily, we don't feel the need to to be in renewables just for the sake of being in renewables. I yeah, think just that's for doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, you guys are going to have your hands full with, you know, changes to SEC reporting, uh, carbon credits, yep. things of that nature. Yep. I mean, that's a lot 
already just to focus <laughs> yeah, on an oil and totally. gas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think, again, those things all come down. And what we like about it is like it comes down to numbers. Like if you're looking at a couple of different opportunities and how do you make investment decisions, if you can incorporate the true cost of something, like including carbon credits or including um, you know, some of the other reporting requirements you have to do, you're getting a better picture of the holistic financial profile of that asset or of that opportunity. And I think so far those have really been guesstimates or they've been kind of, you know, maybe they're living in an Excel file that your analyst has that they refresh once a year or something like that. And yeah. so we're trying to enable companies to have those that that information living in, in a much more accessible fashion and be able to use it in analysis in a much more tangible way. Yeah. So, you know, moving forward in the future, mm -hmm. I mean, how do you guys, there's a lot of interesting things happening in, oil and gas tech right now. I mean, yep. Combo Curve just came out with a $50 million round yep. that they'd closed. There's been some other big rounds uh, behind the scenes too. So yep. really interesting because, I mean, these are backed by Silicon Valley yep. type VCs. And so now money's starting to pour into the space. It's like a, a herd sudden. mentality. It is. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Could go back into our VC um, <laughs> remark earlier. Yep. Um, you know, how do y'all see your future of building um, product? I mean, are you all going to go um, find product market fit first. Mm -hmm. And actually, I mean, you can tell us where you're at with that right now. If y'all yeah. are, um, if you've already found product market fit, if you're sure. already running pilots and yeah. then kind of what's the, what's the timeline? From yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think product is constantly evolving, but I think we've found early product market fit. Like we have some paying customers, we, we, we're generating revenue, which I think is kind of the, the, cool. the early marker of saying like, have you found people who are willing to pay for the product? Um, so we feel, we feel really good about that. I think we're also refining what that product needs to look like. And so how do we, does the product look the same now as it did three months ago, as it's going to six months from now? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, what keeps it exciting and goes back to what we were saying before about the, the customer feedback loop. Like we're, we're really good about incorporating customer feedback into what the product roadmap is going to be yeah um in terms of you know raising capital like we we don't need to go out and raise tomorrow i think we're pretty comfortable in where we are but we certainly want to be able to grow and scale yeah. and part of that is is finding you know the right partners both vc and potentially strategics as well to, to help us do that yeah um i think you know there's benefits to both sides to both types of capital you know the, the vc partner gives you access to more capital frankly and, and company building knowledge yeah um the strategic partner opens doors in the industry they help you you know get your next set of customers they help you kind of navigate um the relationships that you should start building which is important in this which industry. is absolutely important yeah exactly probably more so in this industry than any than other most industry. yeah exactly yeah. and i think yeah. that's been a big learning for me coming from the outside over the last year is is part of what we've tried to do you know very intentionally is find the right early partners mm -hmm. um I don't have street cred yet. You know, I think hopefully I will at some point. <laughs> hopefully I'll get there at some point. Um, but I rely very we'll heavily. Help you, we'll help you build up. Yeah, that would, that would be great. I appreciate that. Um, but part of what we're trying to do is make sure that, you know, you get one shot with a lot of these customers. Like you have to put your best foot forward. And so I'd actually rather sell to fewer people early on. We're also, you know, we're not doing a high, uh, like a, a super fast sale. Like this is an enterprise sale. They're large contract values. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we are talking to a lot of customers, but the ones that we are going to work with are the ones that are going to be giving us really good product feedback. They're going to help open up some doors. Um, and that seems to be the right strategy right now. Um, but it also, you know, when you get to a certain point, like we know the product's working, we know customers are happy. It's time to get that next set of customers. And that's when you really turn on the gas. Yeah. Um, and that's when you need that next set of, you know, VC funding or kind of, um, 
well, any type of funding so yeah. to go and be able <laughs> yeah. to hire your sales team, hire your, you know, a bigger, put more dollars towards marketing. Yeah. We've really done like little to no marketing so far. I have to give a ton of credit to my marketer. Like he's done a lot with very little resources, much to his chagrin. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I have like two sales reps right now. One of yeah. them started this week. So like yeah. we're, we're a lean team still at the moment, but yeah. we're certainly, you know, I know what a good sales team looks like. I know what a good marketing team looks like. Yeah. We're going to get there fast. We just, yeah. I think we need, you know, a few more, a few more, um, few more reps of yeah. that and then we'll get there. Yeah. It's good to have people like that. One of our core values at Wildcatters is that we do more with less. And so totally. like we pride ourselves on that, but you need the right type of people to yep. be able to do that. And so <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, well, I'm sure your, uh, your, your person on your marketing team's listening to this. And he's like, <laughs> I'm sure he will. He'll critique it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I think also like you guys, you've been through a lot of, um, cycles in, in the oil and gas industry and it's the same thing in, in the technology industry. Like I, I work with a bunch of people and was at radius, um, at, you know, kind of the 2015, 2016, like things were booming at the time. Yeah. And we hired a huge number of sales reps and a huge number of young kind of out of school BDRs. And, you know, they were making like a hundred K plus at 23. Yeah. And you're just thinking like, you don't know anything yet. Like, how are you making this much money? Yeah. And I think that's something where we're trying not to do that. Right. We're not, we're trying not to just pour money into things where yeah. it doesn't actually make sense from a return perspective. So yeah. I'd, I'd rather hire more deliberately and a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, you know, other of my partners might not totally agree with that, but I, I think we're going to be trying, we're going to be really thoughtful about where we put money and where we don't. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there's, you've probably heard this quote, but there's a quote, um, it's hire slow, fire fast. Oh yeah. And like, I live by that. Like yep. I hire so slow because I want to find <laughs> the right people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, when you build, I mean, Wildcatters is, um, fairly bootstrap. We did raise a seed round. Um, mm -hmm last year but you have to be very deliberate in where you, you spend your cash and your resources uh, yep. and when you don't go raise a hundred million dollars like some other startups yeah i mean you can look at fast for example you know you go raise all of this money <laughs> and hire all of these all of these software engineers yeah, and you're doing six hundred thousand dollars in revenue but you also i mean you just have to scratch your head and be like who thought that was a good idea? like you <laughs> yeah. look at the revenue numbers that they had and you're like how can you justify that There's, and so Look, I think the math doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think a lot of things, um, you know, we talked about capital destruction and oil and gas and yeah. some of the behaviors that we saw from management teams. I mean, a lot of it was investor driven. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and so, negligence, frankly. And you see the same thing in VC. A lot of it's investor driven. Yep. So um, Agreed. you got to put yourself in front of a mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, okay. So we have a lot of people on the show that private equity, investment banks, uh, finance and EMPs, if they want to find more information on Zeno. Where yep. can they find y'all? Yeah, we are Xenotech.io. Uh, so just in your in your Google browser. Um, we also, you know, reach out to me anytime, Celia at Xenotech.io. Uh, the team I think is, you know, like I said, very responsive. Um, we like to be in front of our customers. We like to be in person. We like to, you know, have conversations and figure out what what people need. Um, and then any other uh, inquiries, LinkedIn, you know, we're not on Instagram, I don't believe. I think we are on Twitter, so I can double check that okay. one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of, you know, the best ways to reach us, there's there's obviously the website and then emailing me directly is great. Awesome. Yeah. Y'all make sure to reach out to Celie, build up her street cred, help her out, <laughs> help her out here. Yeah. I, I'm vouch for her. I like her. So, well, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks Super for Super interesting. Me. Love your story. Thank you. Um, you know, I think that you're the first uh, San Francisco transplant post-COVID that <laughs> I've had on the show. Great. So I'm sure um, there'll be many more. Yeah. Um, and happy to be I the mean, first. just happy to have good talent coming into the industry and have people that are excited to build solutions. So, um, well, we'll get your street cred open. We'll get you into the ecosystem pretty that, quick. So. That sounds great. Thanks, Colin. Really appreciate the yep. conversation. All right, guys. If you enjoyed this show, make sure to leave us a five star review on Apple. If you're on Spotify, I don't know if you need reviews on Spotify, but if you can, 
go ahead and do it. And then make sure to check out Mine and Chuck's, Chuck's show Tuesday, 10.30 a.m. Central BDE. Come get all your energy news for the week and come hang out with us. We'll catch you then. Come, 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 come.